All right, if you have your Bible, please uh, turn with me to Psalm 119. We're going to be looking tonight at verses 33 through 40. Psalm 119, verses 33 to 40. You can find this in the Pew Bible on page 480, 480 of the Pew Bible. Uh, tonight's lesson is brought to you by the letter Hey, which is the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Hey. Even though it's spelled He, it's pronounced Hey, just to give you a little Hebrew uh, lesson tonight. I'm going to read uh, all the verses and then we'll uh, talk about it. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, I'm sure you've had the experience at some point in, in your life of training an animal. How many people have ever trained an animal of any kind? Yeah, most of us. It could be as simple as trying to housebreak a dog or as complicated as trying to break a horse to ride it or to break a cow to lead the cow around. Uh, my family has done all of the above at different times of my upbringing. So I've seen various animals go from wild and unruly to just, you know, like putty in your hands. Well, a lot of times uh, when we see that process happen, have you ever noticed that most of the time it works? It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Just stop and think about that. Human beings are very good at training animals. Don't you agree? Uh, only rarely does the dog not learn to go to the bathroom in the right place. Only rarely does a horse not respond to the training or the cow not respond to the training. Most always it works. But here's the thing. Here, here's the difference between us and an animal. Okay, y'all ready? Even if you get the animal to do exactly what you want it to do, it is still not doing it intelligently, with understanding, willingly, with love. No, I know I may break some of y'all's hearts, but yes, animals actually don't love you. They just love that you feed them, right? That's really it. I'm sorry to dispel that. God wants from us something far, far more than just an animal-like obedience. I want you to hold your, your finger in Psalm 119 and turn back to another Psalm of David real quick. Psalm 32. Turn back to Psalm 32. And I want to point out to you this statement. It's very powerful. David wrote it when he was reflecting on the glory of the forgiveness of God in his life. He was celebrating how good it is to be forgiven. And he says this in verse 9 of Psalm 32. Be not like the horse or the mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. What's that saying? What's well, saying a horse or a mule, though obedient, 
aren't really willing, they're just responding to pain and reward. What God wants from a Christian, what God wants from his people as he trains us in righteousness, which the Bible says he is doing, he's sanctifying us, which means training us in righteousness. God wants us to do so with understanding, with affection, with willingness, with joy. And if you'll look back at Psalm 119, that section we just read, David's got it. God is working this very thing in David. Every verse, he's asking God to do something, and he's giving God a reason why he wants him to do it. And that reason is, oh God, how I love, and I want to, I'm willingly choosing to do exactly what you're calling me to do. I love your word. I love you. And I want to walk in in step with you because of that love in my heart. I, I have understanding. I have willingness. I have affection. That's true human sanctification. God is not merely training us as animals. He's training us as human beings, engaging all of our faculties. Think about this. That's the reason why God uses the Bible to do it. I want everybody to hear this. Just think about it. God chooses to sanctify us primarily through the Bible. It's what Jesus prayed in in, uh, John 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Think about why he does that. The Bible is a book full of ideas that have to be understood, full of choices that have to be made, full of ideas that also have to be loved and persons that have to be loved. What that means is God wants all of you. Therefore, he addresses all of you. He leads you in such a way that he doesn't leave any part of you behind, whether it's heart, whether it's will, whether it's mind. And so tonight we want to look at this simple thing. And actually, it is kind of an extension of the third point of this morning's sermon. I know everybody remembers this morning, right? Everybody's with me? The third point of this morning's sermon is really being extended here tonight as we look at how God puts a desire in our hearts to obey his law. Let's look at three things. First of all, this desire is revealed in verses 33 to 35. The desire is challenged in verses 36 to 39. And then the desire is secured in verse 40. All right, first of all, the desire is revealed. Look at verses 33 to 35. David gives rapid fire three um, requests of the Lord. Teach me, verse 33. Teach me your way. Implication. If you don't teach me, I won't know. I won't be able to keep it. Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with all of my heart. Implication, if you don't give me understanding, I won't keep it. I won't observe it with my whole heart. I'll be only half-hearted. Verse 35, lead me. Lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in it. David has a delight in God's word, which is a good thing, a God-given thing. But he recognizes his need for God's constant leadership in his heart in order to make that desire a reality. Teach me, give me, lead me. What we're learning here is a little bit about how this God-given desire looks. All right? We spoke about this a little bit this morning. Uh, You can look at two people, and both of them might be doing the same outward thing, outward good thing, right? Both of them might be obeying the Bible in an outward way. But they may be doing it for two vastly different reasons, right? 
We, we spoke about it today in terms of self-control and in terms of uh, faithfulness. Here it's the same thing. Uh, two people may be avoiding murder. Two people may be avoiding lying. And outwardly you can't tell the difference. But God sees the heart. And what God is looking for is that inner desire and that inner willingness. In fact, that's what God gives to us in the gospel. God promises in the gospel everything that he requires in the law. Here David is showing us what that looks like. It's a determination to keep all of God's law with all of my heart for all of my life, but that never quits being dependent on God for the ability to do it. Let me say it again. The desire that God plants in us to obey his word is with my whole heart to obey God's whole law for my whole life. You can find all those elements in there. And yet, though I am that determined to obey God, I am not once forgetting that I am dependent on him to give me the ability to do it. That's David. Now, there's a lot of counterfeits here. What do I mean? A person may have a partial desire to obey God's law, which is not a God-given desire to obey God's law. Lots of writers point this out, Lots, especially the older writers point this out. Um, if you want to obey God in X, Y, and Z, but not A, B, C, right? Like you're, if you're going to the Bible and saying, Woo, I like that one and that one, but not that one. I'm picking and choosing. What that shows is you have maybe maybe a man uh, a man created desire, but not a God given desire. One of the marks of a God given desire is that you take the whole thing. You say, "Well, I don't know the whole thing yet." Well, yeah, but but still, you may have the desire that as as you come to know new things, you're going to accept them. You're going to seek the Lord to help you do them. You have a basic disposition to accept everything that God asks of you whether it's something he's asking you to believe or whether it's something he's asking you to do or think, etc. You want the whole package with the whole heart for the whole life. Now, here's another counterfeit. Some people have a desire to obey God's law, but it is not dependent on God. And this gets into the realm of what we call legalism. This is where a person has gotten excited about the rules but their excitement about the rules is, well, it's, it's only really to try to strike some kind of deal with God. Uh, I'll keep your rules, God, if in exchange you'll give me your favor, your blessing, or if other people will think highly of me and look at me like I'm a great you know, spiritual person. That's the reason why I'm really obeying. I'm not depending on you every step of the way. My prayer life does not look like David's. I am gritting my teeth biting back what I really want to do and shoving it and I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do because everybody thinks of me as a good person. That's also not a God-given desire to obey God's law. Here's a God-given desire. It's free. It has wings. It has a spring in its step because it is wanting to do what God wants it to do because it loves God. Whole heart, whole law, whole life, yet dependent every step of the way. Now let me ask you this. Does your prayer life include these kinds of prayers that you see in verses 33 to 35? When you wake up in the morning, is it, teach me, O Lord, your way? 
Give me understanding, God. When you go to bed at night, is it lead me in the path of your righteousness, of your testimonies, because I delight in your commandments? Does that feature at all in your prayer life? Uh, it's, it's a great thing to add if it doesn't. Because it's actually an expression of the true God-given, spirit-filled heart that says, God, I want everything you want from me, but I know that I can't take the first step without you. And so my prayers are not just shaped by my by my felt needs all the time. They're not just shaped by my creature comfort type stuff. Lord, give me the give me the success at the job and the parking spot in the front of Walmart and the you know, it's not just driven by that stuff. It becomes, Lord, teach me your ways, teach me your laws, teach me your paths. That that shows you you have a God given, God implanted desire that's growing in your life. And even if it's the tiniest little one did you know it says about Jesus, he does not put out a faintly burning wick. He does not break a bruised reed. So I'm not saying that your, your desire for God's law has to be David strong. <laughs> it might not be. It probably isn't. But even if it's the smallest desire like David's, Jesus will, like we just sang, be with you to the end. And he's going to continue to fan that into flame. And he wants you to participate by praying in similar ways that uh, David here prays. God, teach me. God, give me understanding. God, lead me. I delight in your law. That's the first thing. That's the desire revealed. By the way, before I move on from that, Another reason why you should pray prayers like in verse 33, 34, and 35 is that they're prayers that always are guaranteed to be answered with yes. Don't you love those? Not every prayer we pray is going to be answered yes. But these will. You say, well, how do you know that, Stan? Well, here, here's how I know it. Jesus prayed it for you in John 17. Anytime you can know you're praying the same thing Jesus is praying for your life, that's pretty cool. Not only is it cool, that's pretty assuring that God is going to hear, if not you, at least you'll hear Jesus. When Jesus said before he died, he says, Lord, I'm not just praying for these disciples here. I'm praying for everybody who will believe me because of their word. He's praying for you. And he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In other words, Jesus is praying verses 33 to 35, Psalm 119, for you. Why not join Jesus? You know, why uh, worry yourself so much about all these prayers that are like rolling dice? And why not just pray the prayers that you know are going to be answered in your life? All right, we can move on now. Second thing, uh, the desire is nevertheless challenged in David, and it is in us as well. Look at verses 36 to 39. Uh, Though David has a desire to keep God's law, and this is a God-given desire, he faces a lot of obstacles in his path, a lot of things that cause him not to um, always uh, find success in his quest to obey God. Uh, just look down at your Bible, those verses, and just start calling out, well, what are some of, the, um, some of the obstacles that you see in David's way? Good. Bob, what'd you say again? Selfish gain, verse 36. It's in David's way. Worthless things. Worthless things. 
What else? This one's harder to get, but it's, it's found in verses 38 and 39. Got to put on your thinking cap a little more to get this one. When he says reproach, when he says confirm your promise that you may be feared, what, he, what he's talking about is all the people around him who aren't fearing God, who are looking at David wanting to obey God, and they're just heaping reproaches on him. They're, they're making fun of him. They're making life difficult for him because he's with God. That's another obstacle. The persecutions that David is facing, which we uh, saw a few stanzas ago when we were talking about the sojourner's heart that David has. People around him are not on the same page as David, and that's difficult. Inside of himself, not only does he have a desire to obey God, which is God-given, he also still has those old Adam-like desires for selfish gain. He also has this tendency to look with his eyes at worthless things. Uh, What do you think he means, by the way, by worthless things? What kinds of things do you think he's talking about? Yeah, it could be. Yeah, and that would be ironic, right? Because riches and glory don't seem to the world to be worthless at all. In fact, they're the things of greatest worth to most people. It could be that he's calling those things worthless in comparison to God. Um, Certainly, you could include in that category anything sinful. Anything sinful is automatically worthless. But I think Bob is also right that you should add to it even those things that aren't sinful... Nevertheless, when put in comparison to God, become as if they were worthless, right? And that's a skill that a Christian has to learn to develop. Um, Do you notice your eyes turning towards worthless things all the time? Don't you see that? Um, Man, it is a relentless thing, isn't it? Where our eyes, which means our attention, not just our physical eyes, but our attention begins to gravitate towards things that just aren't as eternal or as important. And we can completely forget God. Sometimes even for long periods of our lives. Because our eyes are fixed on things that are relatively worthless at the end of the day. And then we're not even, I mean, I don't even want to talk about how bad selfish gain is. And how constant, isn't that with you all the time? This conflict within you between what God is calling me to do and, oh, how I can get ahead and how I can advantage myself. Life on my own terms, in my own way. David is just like every other Christian. He's conflicted. And yet he knows, the reason why he's praying this prayer is because he knows God is with him and God is going to ultimately get the victory in his life. David is a lot like Paul. Um, In fact, if you don't find in your life this conflict, you might not be on the same race course that Paul was on and that David was on. And I I say that as an encouragement to you, not as a discouragement. It's what I mean. Um, Don't be alarmed that within you you find all kinds of conflicting desires that war against the Spirit. Don't be alarmed at that. In fact, it's a pretty good indication you're on the right path. It's when you don't feel any conflict about it. It's when you're just sort of swept away without any resistance that you should be worried. 
uh, it was the Apostle Paul, no less, who said, I have a law within me. I want to do what is right because I'm a Christian now. I, I, I love God's law. It's holy. It's right and good. But I find another law in me. Every time I want to do right, there's evil close at hand. There's evil suggesting its path to me, and I just get drawn to it. Oh, wretched man that I am, he cries out. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? It's just so torn apart. Remember his answer? Who will deliver me? Thanks be to God, he says, who delivers us through Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. And that was David's hope. That David didn't know Jesus by name, but he knew Jesus. You know, that's something I want you to see every time we study the Old Testament. The Old Testament saints believed in Jesus Christ. They believed him in promise form. They believed him under types and shadows, uh, such as the temple, the sacrifices, the festivals, all the things that God gave Israel as a placeholder and reminder of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, they believed in Jesus Christ. And they were saved in the same way we are. And so David, when he says, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain, he really believes God will incline his heart because he believes in Jesus. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life. He knows God really will give him life and turn his eyes. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. He knows God will keep his promises because all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Turn away the reproach I dread. He knows that Christ has rolled away his reproaches, which is what the exodus and circumcision represented for the people of Israel. The very thing that Jesus would do at the cross, he rolled away the reproach of our sin so that we could have an everlasting spiritual life with God. You are on the right path if you feel inner conflict. Cheer up. Right? It's nothing new. Nothing is overtaking you that hasn't overtaken everybody else who's been on this path with Jesus. Everyone. As one uh, old pastor once said to his church, you will not get out of Romans 7 while I'm your minister. And I'll say the same to you. You won't get out of Romans 7 while I'm your pastor, I'll tell you that. You'll have graduated to the greater pastoring of Jesus Christ in heaven when you get out of Romans 7. Praise God. While I'm your pastor, you'll be there. And there'll always be this desire God has put in you, but also that, that selfish gain. This desire God has given you, also the worthless things that are like, whoo, you're like squirrel, squirrel. You know, that's just the way we are. It, it takes consistent praying, consistent returning back to God's word and scripture in order to keep our, our eyes and our hearts fixed on what he is doing rather than the other byways that we may normally take. Please don't uh, think that the solution to this problem is just simply something like the power of positive thinking. Okay? It's not. Paul didn't say, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I'll just think positive. I'll just believe the best about myself and everybody else. Kumbaya. He didn't say that. He said, Jesus Christ died and rose, the Spirit 
came into my life. No condemnation. The law of God now being fulfilled in those who walk after the Spirit. That's what he said. He didn't just say, I'm okay, you're okay. Let's just all be happy. Not the way it works. And so if you're feeling that tension, cheer up. You're on the right path. It doesn't mean God hasn't planted his desires in you. He probably has, which is why you're feeling the tension. And there's a hope better for you than just simply mm, mind tricks. Your hope is in Jesus. Your hope is in the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Which leads us to our, our last point tonight, which we'll spend a little bit more time on. How is the desire that God gives us for his word ultimately secured? If David's this man who's been given all these desires, if he finds in himself and outside of himself all these attacks against those desires, how in the world is it ever going to turn out okay for David? How is it going to turn out okay for us? Look at verse 40. There's several things I want to point out to you in verse 40. First of all, notice how David says something here that he doesn't say anywhere else in the whole psalm. And David says a lot of things in Psalm 119, okay? Amen? It's 174 verses if you haven't counted yet. And in none of those 174 does he say anything like this. He calls on God to do something. What does he call on God to do? Verse 40. The first, thing, the first word. Behold! Do you see that? Look! Now, now, normally in the Bible, when someone says, Behold! What's the situation? Think about it. Yeah, that's right. The angel. Behold, today is born for you in the city of David a Savior. Other examples. Behold. Okay, let's just use that one, all right? I think we're going to get everything we need out of that one. Thank you, Ryan. So in that situation, what were the angels doing? Were the angels call, who were they calling to behold? What were they calling them to behold? The angel was calling. Come on. Yep, shepherds, all right. I know it's a long way from Christmas, but y'all, Christmas is coming again. And you've got to always stay fresh on Christmas, right? The angel talking to the shepherds saying, behold, behold what? Christ the Lord born for you this day in the city of David. It's usually, every time someone says behold, it's usually from God to people to behold what he has done. Notice, David does something here that he doesn't do anywhere else in the whole psalm. He asks God to behold something within him. What does he want God to look at? Behold. What? I long for your precepts. God, look. Look. Look inside of me. Lord, don't you see it? There is a longing in my heart. It's beleaguered. It's attacked. It's stressed. It's anxious. It's sometimes failing. But Lord, behold the longing. Sometimes it's just like a wick barely hanging on when you get to the bottom of the candle. But Lord, look at it. See it, God. 
Now, why do you think David would want God to look at that? It is good. Okay? Why does he want him to see that good thing? He wants more of it. Yep. Look at the next phrase. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your... Does it say mercy? Does it say grace? What does it say next? Righteousness. Give me life. What's the difference? What is righteousness? What's the difference between righteousness and grace and mercy? Well, if you look at the word righteous, you'll see the word right in it, right? That's what it means. To be righteous is to be right. It's to do the right thing, the thing you're supposed to do, the thing you're bound to do by duty. That's what righteousness is. David says, look, God, in me there's there's this longing for you and this longing for your precepts. In your duty, the thing you are committed and you have to do, Give me life. This is important. Do you see what David is doing? He's putting his confidence that his longing to obey God will will be fully fulfilled in his life. He's putting his confidence in God's having begun the work and basing upon that the idea that God must finish it. Paul again, Philippians chapter 1, Lord, or to the Philippians, we have confidence. The Lord who began a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. He will finish it. God finishes what he starts. David knows how to say, God, look, you started it. You're going to have to finish it. With all reverence, David is being reverent. But yet he's, he's, he's almost claiming the covenant promise of God. Uh, God is not bound to do things because someone else binds him to it. He, that's the way he's different from us. We're bound to do righteous things because God bound us to do them. God is bound by none. God is only bound by his own holy and righteous self. In the covenant of grace, he has bound himself to save all those who come to him through Jesus. And so anybody who has come to God through Jesus can at any time pray the prayer of David. God, look. Look in me. I know I ain't much. And I know I'm not much of a Christian, but there's something in me of a Christian. You've started it, O Lord. You've got to finish it. You've got to finish it. Why do you have to finish it? Because you said you would finish it. You told me that you would. You didn't put this longing in me that it might die on the vine. You put this longing in me that it might bear fruit and that that fruit, as Jesus said, would remain. And so, oh Lord, look at my longing. I'm not taking credit for it. On the contrary, I'm saying, look, there's something of you in me. You can't abandon me now. Stick with me. Isn't that powerful? This is a part of learning how to walk as a, as a member of the covenant of grace. 
A great number of Christians walk as if they're a member of a covenant of works. If, you, if that makes sense to you. A great number of Christians walk, a great number of Christians walk as if their relationship with God is dependent upon their performance. David is modeling for us a grace-based life. My ongoing relationship with God is not dependent on my performance. It's dependent on the beginnings of God's performance in me, which are the first fruits of the final harvest. If the first fruits are present, the harvest must come. If the desire is there, if repentance has truly begun, if faith has truly begun, it must persevere. And I, as a Christian, can walk in assurance of that. I can persevere myself in my belief through all kinds of dangers, toils, and snares because I am assured that he won't let me go. My sin cannot undo me. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. My sin cannot you know, undo me. Christ became a curse for us, therefore I'm not cursed. I don't obey in order to earn life. Christ obeyed to earn life for me. And the proof that I am in Christ is found in those little signs of his work already begun inside. I have to learn, you have to learn how to notice those things and take encouragement by them. And you have to also learn how to say, God, look. You look too at what you did in me. Sometimes as Reformed Christians in particular, as Presbyterians, we can make a big deal out of our total depravity, which we believe in, to such a degree that we think as Christians that there's no way that we could ever look in ourselves and see any good thing that God is doing. We shouldn't do that. We need to stop that. That actually isn't what total depravity teaches. Um, total depravity teaches something else. That's for another time. Total depravity doesn't mean God can't work in you because actually total depravity is why you need God to work in you, right? And so when you do see something good, you can be like, God, that's you. It can't be me. Well, I know Satan didn't do that. So it must be you. God, look. You can't leave me now. That's a part of having a living, breathing relationship with God through his word. It's learning how to say to God, behold. Behold the works of your hands. Rejoice in the works of your hands. And to, and to some degree, asking God to give you permission, whatever's holding you back from this, to release you from that, so that you can look in your life and see the actual good things that God is doing in there. Because there are some things in there. Yes, even in you, right? <laughs> and even in me. David saw it. For him, at this point, it was just a longing. Notice David's very, he's very subdued here. He doesn't say, behold how I have done everything you've told me to do without exception. I am not like other men who are so sinful. No, he just simply says, God, behold a longing. Behold who man, a man who wants to walk with you. Sometimes people will say to me, Pastor, I, don't, I, don't, I want to be a Christian, but I don't know if I can. Or I, I want to repent, but not now. <laughs> I want to repent later. 
And I'll just ask them sometimes, but do you want to want to repent? Right? Do you want to want to want God? I mean, you got to latch on to something that God might be doing in your heart. Maybe he's not doing anything yet. Maybe you'll find that. But if you can find a want to want to want, oh, God, pour on to this little tiny wick your fuel. Make it bigger. Make it grow. Don't let it die. Jesus, I know you're the gentle and lowly one who doesn't quench any wicks that faintly burn. Notice also what David doesn't do. is He's not saying this in a self-righteous manner. He's not saying, behold, God, look what I've done so that you have to give me life based on my works. It's not what he's doing. We have to learn how to distinguish those things. Just because we don't point to our works for our salvation doesn't mean we shouldn't ever point to our works at all or notice them, right? I don't know why those two things can't go together. Um, of course you can. Uh, you, you can't really read half the Bible uh, and, and honestly believe it if you think you can never point to your works. One uh, writer says it probably better than I've ever heard it. He says, you know, children don't give birth to mothers, but in a time of need, when the mother is old, children can nourish mothers. Your good works can't give birth to your salvation. But in a time of need, when your faith is failing you, sometimes just saying, God, look at, just the, look at a man who wants to want. <laughs> I ain't got much left, but I want to want you. I want to repent. I want to want to at least. Isn't that good? David was a man who knew not only how to shepherd sheep and later shepherd people as a, as, a, um, sh- as a king, David knew how to shepherd his own heart. And I have to say, you know, one of the things as a pastor that I want so much for every person in our church is that we would all learn how to be shepherds of our own hearts. Right? Um, I'm trying to work myself out of a job. And one day I will. One day. I won't need to be a pastor anymore because we'll all be perfectly under the hands directly of Christ. But in the meantime, each of us can learn how to, according to the covenant of grace, shepherd our own souls. Pointing to those things. No, they they didn't give birth to our salvation, but they can help them on a rainy day. In a time of need and encourage the heart. Uh, Here are some places you can go that will help you with this. My favorite is the, um, and it's been my favorite since childhood, and it might have been because um, I had this little Gideon Bible they gave me at school. still have it, actually, the same one where I memorized my first verse out of. Still sometimes use it. And, uh, you know, I only had the the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, so it might have been this was my favorite because it was on, like, the first three pages because it's in Matthew chapter 5. But anyway, it became my favorite very quickly. It's the Beatitudes. This is a great one to go to if you're saying, okay, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to say, God, behold what you've done in me. Just go through the Beatitudes. 
God, behold, I am poor in spirit. Behold, God, your servant who mourns over her sin. I am meek. I've got nothing to claim of my own. God, just behold a man who is hungry. Behold a thirsty man. Somebody once said, I think it was uh, Joel, Joel Beakey, past, a pastor in uh, Michigan, who said, when you look at the, the Beatitudes, what Jesus is teaching us is um, these are signs of a work of grace in someone's heart. Blessed are they because they will get the kingdom of heaven. These are describing a Christian. When you look at this list, if these things are true of you, you are a Christian, a real one. You can't create these things in yourself, and there ain't no way Satan's going to make you poor in spirit. Why would he do that? Why would he want to make anybody mourn over their sin, or meek, or hungry for righteousness? And so if it didn't come from you, Joel Beakey said, and if it didn't come from Satan, guess where it came from? Behold God, (laughs) the beginnings of your work. You can't leave me now. Stick with me. Help me. Find your paths. Help me find your ways and overcome all obstacles in my way as I serve you. Amen? The obedient heart.